Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Victory in Jesus. That's some good news. So we're going to continue our series on taking possession of the promise. A little study in the book of Joshua. We've talked over the last couple of weeks about the fact that God's got a plan and it's his plan. How many of you know God's plan is his plan and it's a good plan because his plan towards you, his thoughts towards you are good thoughts and he wants to bless you. That's good. When God wants to bless you, that's good. I say, let's let him. All right. But we have to align ourselves. We, we discover that we have to align ourselves and, and walk by that faith. We have to understand that, that even though it's his plan, we have to take action. It's not going to happen just because he said, here's my plan. We talked about the fact that sometimes God's plan doesn't look the way that we think it should or that we thought it would. We talked about how uh, God had called Israel out of Egypt under the, under the direction of Moses, and, and because they were unfaithful, they ended up spending 40 years in the desert. We talked about how Joshua was raised up to take place of Moses and how when God brings them across the river, finally gets them across the, the Jordan River, they find themselves hemmed in on one side by a raging river, on the other side by the uh, people of Jericho, the enemies. All of a sudden, the provision, the manna stops. You know, sometimes we, we think, well, if God is with me, if God is blessing me, then the provision's always going always to be the same and it's always going to go on. But sometimes when he gets you in, you get close to that promise, it changes. The provision changed. They never saw manna again. And then they had to step up. Remember, it was, it was kind of a, it, it would be a terrifying thing to me as they're sitting there hemmed in. God says, oh yeah, I want you to circumcise all the men. So now they are completely uh, defenseless as they're sitting by the enemy. And, and as I said, I would be thinking, Lord, you couldn't have thought about that on the other side of the river. God wants to bring us into a place where we have to trust him. We have to rely on him. If he doesn't guard us, if he doesn't protect us, if he doesn't lead us and direct us, then we're in trouble. You know, I hear a lot of people, and I've mentioned this a number of times, but I hear a lot of people that misinterpret scripture. They take 1 Corinthians completely out of context. And they, there's even, I've, I've heard a couple of songs on the radio, on Christian radio, and I, and I like the song. I mean, it's got a good beat to it. It's got a good tune and whatever other musical words you're supposed to, I'm not a musician. It sounds good. But it goes along this line, God won't give me more than I can handle. You know, I know if I'm, if I'm facing it, it's because God knows I can handle it. Hogwash. God will purposefully and intentionally lead you into situations that you can't handle. It's too big for you. Why? So that you learn to rely on God and not on yourself. If you could handle everything, if, if God sat up there and just made sure that, that nothing big and frustrating and difficult, nothing beyond your ability to control came into your life, what would you need God for? God wants you to know that you need him and that he's there for you. You can't, don't even try to take this life on by yourself. He's there for you. And so 
Joshua had the task of circumcising all the men in the midst of the, you know, the plain of Jericho. Scary, scary place. We talked last week about the fact that we don't know what other people are thinking. And we can't base our lives on what other people are saying because they tell us what, we, what they think we want to hear oftentimes. But also about the power of words. You know, the, the enemy is going to tear you down. He's going to belittle you. He's going to tell you you can't make it. But if God has said, let's go, why wait? You know, and the, and the reality that Joshua sent spies out, and this time he only sent two spies, and they went to the house of Rahab, who was a prostitute, and they stayed there. And God allowed them to get an insight as to what the enemy was actually thinking, not just what he was saying. It was Rahab recognized who God was. And she told them, hey, ever since we heard about how your God delivered you from Egypt, how he parted the Red Sea. This is 40-year-old news that the people of Jericho had only heard. The people of Israel had lived. And, and, it's, and it's, it's sad and it's amazing to me sometimes that, that the enemy can hear something and believe it even more than we have a tendency to live through it and, and accept it. We've got to change our thinking. But she said, look, ever since we heard about that, and then we heard about how you destroyed Sion and Og, the kings on the other side of the river, we're scared to death. Our, our, our confidence has melted. We are, we are scared to death because we know that your God has given this land. God gave those spies the opportunity to hear the truth and not just what the enemy wanted them to think. And so we need to pay attention to who we listen to. Let's listen to God. This morning, we're going to move on with an installment I've titled Choosing Size. It comes out of Joshua chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, would you hold them up with me? Repeat after me. It's, it's still, it's, it's funny to see people holding phones up. They're lit up. That's awesome. Though. I love technology when it works. <laughs> this is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. They're on the promised side. They're on the, in the Jericho side of the promised land. They've been circumcised or just waiting for the go order from the Lord. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 starts like this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. This guy didn't have a sword in its sheath. He had a drawn sword in his hand. He is ready for action. That's something for us to bear in mind. He is ready for action. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the Lord, of the army of the Lord, rather, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. 
and Joshua did so. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've got good plans for us, that all your plans are good. But Lord, we gotta, we got to learn how to step up, walk in faith, to hear your word and be confident. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at choosing sides that you would guide us and direct us. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And I ask that you send your Holy Spirit where I can't go, to the very heart of each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joshua's question, really, it's, it's a pretty common one. Whose side are you on? That's really what he's asking, isn't it? You ever ask that? Out on the playground? Maybe at work? Friends, relatives? Maybe your family feud? <laughs> Whatever. Whose side are you on? We ask that question all the time. We, and, and the thing is, is we want to gather people to our side, right? I want to make sure that the people that are on my side have my back. The people on my side are bigger than the people on their side. We learned this in, you know, in grade school when we're picking teams for, for uh, recess sports or one of, my, one of my favorites when I was a kid, and I guess they're still playing it, Red Rover. Red Rover, Red Rover. Send whomever on over. And, and you, wanted to be on the, you wanted to be on the team with the big guys and the strong guys because you don't want... You don't want the people from the other team to come and break through the, the chain. Yeah, you want to be able to clothesline them, all right? Or you're picking sides for dodgeball. You want, to, you want to pick the guys that can really throw. And you don't want to be opposite of them because you really don't want to get hit. Speaking of dodgeball, I just heard the other day that, that it's been banned. What is wrong with schools? What is wrong with our culture? You got to ban dodgeball? They said it's a form of bullying. Well, of course it is. It's an awesome form of bullying. Man, it kind of levels the playing field, sort of. Sort of. I love dodgeball. I didn't even care when I got hit. It was just, you know, it's a, it's a thrill. We're raising up a generation of weenies. Can't play dodgeball. Yeah, we got a we got a gym. I think we need to have a dodgeball competition. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're gonna have to take on the youth. The adults versus the youth. All right? Men versus the women? No. <laughs> we'll say, we'll we'll pick teams and it'll be like, be like uh <laughs> what'd you say? Oh, I'm glad you said red. I thought you said no shirts. We don't want to see that. We like uh, teenagers versus 20 to 40 somethings. Or even, you know, we might get some guys that are older than that want to play. Eric, where's Eric? Oh, he's counting. He's like 50. Brian, you're 50. You ever see the guns on that guy? He's on my team. So we got to, somebody put that on the calendar. Let's have a dodgeball, an anti-weenie dodgeball competition. Oh, and charge $2 per person, raise money for the church. I like this. So this is turning into more of a planning meeting than a message. We should probably get back on track.
It's that kind of questioning. Let me get back. That kind of questioning really is it's, it's self-centered. Church, does anyone? <laughs> what is, what is making, making money and me being abused? Why do those always seem to go hand in hand? <laughs> Who would sign up for the church against pastor? Would anybody be on my team? <laughs> okay, okay, we can do that. Uh, hmm, this church is going to kill me. Let's get back. Let's get, stop. I don't want to hear any more about ice cream. Because then we'll have a really short message. Are you on my side or are you on my enemy's side? Joshua's asking. And it's a self-centered kind of question. If you think about it, it's, it's all about me. That's what, that's what it rolls down to. It's all about me. But isn't that the way that, that we are oftentimes? I mean, as much as, we, as much as we try to think of the other person and we try to, you know, be kind and gentle and blah, 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 it, we really, a lot of times, are self-centered. And it boils down to, look at me. See things my way. Join my side. You're either for me or against me. Come be part of my team. You know, if you struggle with this, don't feel too awful bad. Not too awful bad. You're in kind of good company. The disciples struggled with this same mentality as they walked with Jesus. They, they had that same us against them mentality. Mark chapter 9, verse 38, the disciples had uh, run into somebody that was casting demons out of people. That's not a bad thing, is it? I don't the, the demon possessed, the demon oppressed, being set free, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. But the disciples went and told the guy to stop. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 and 39. We told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus replied. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. You see, the disciples were concerned. They were upset because the guy wasn't one of them. He wasn't one of the 12. So he wasn't one of the anointed, one of the blessed, one of the authorized to cast demons out. Jesus, we stopped. We just want you to know how good a work we've done for you lately. We, we saw this guy casting out demons. We made, him, we made him stop. Can you imagine if we as the church offer it? Well, I guess we do sometimes. Can you imagine... If we're going around, hey, uh, you know what? I heard a guy preaching, but don't worry, I made him stop because he's not affiliated with the Assemblies of God. Hey, uh, there's this great thing, this Compassion Ridgefield down there. They were, they were doing health care for people, free health care. They weren't charging anything, but we told them not to because it's the Nazarene church. It's not the Assembly of God church. We, we decided not to be a part of it because they're part of a different sect. They're part of a different denomination. They're part of a different branch. And you know what? We have differences with them. How stupid would that be? And yet we do that sometimes. We start picking apart all the differences that we have with different churches. 
And I'll tell you what, it's kind of sad, but it's true. There are enough sinners in this area to fill up every single one of the Christian churches around here, regardless of denomination. And Jesus paid the price for every single one of those sinners. And he wants to see every single one of them come to know him, whether they get saved in the Assembly of God Church, or they get saved in Presbyterian Church, or they get saved in Methodist Church, or they get saved in Nazarene Church. God is big enough. And we need to stop looking at things as us versus them. Join my team. Hey, we told them to stop preaching. We told them to stop teaching. We told them to stop sending us literature because he's not one of us. We told them to stop casting out demons because he's not one of us. And Jesus said, in fact, I, if we put it in today's terms, I think Jesus looking at him and saying, you know, that's pretty lame. He said, why would, why would you do that? He's setting somebody free, and nobody can perform a miracle in my name. Think about this. He's casting them out in my name. Nobody can perform a miracle in my name, and then in the next moment, say anything bad about me. So the disciples struggled with it. Jesus brought them back to reality. It's not about you. It's about God. The reality of our life is it's not about you. It's about God. The life you live, God gave you. The potential you have, God gave you. The giftings, the talents, the skills, the interests, God gave you. Now you can either use them for his glory, you can use them for your own. But let me say again, it's not about you. It's about God. So what was, the, what was the angel's response? Joshua walks up to this angel with his sword drawn. I mean, the guy is ready for business. Hey, you on my side or you on their side? What was the angel's response? Neither. Would that be just a little bit disconcerting? I've got this mighty warrior angel standing in front of me. He's got his sword drawn. And I ask him, you on my side or you on their side? Neither. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on the Lord's side. You see, that messes with our thinking because we want, as believers... This is, this, is, this is natural. We want God on our side, right? I want, I want God on my side. I want him standing behind me and, and ready to go. I want to know that, that he's right there with me. But it's a problem when we start looking at it as our side. The angel said, I'm not, I'm not on your side. I'm not on your enemy's side. I'm on the Lord's side. What side are you on? I'm here to do the will of the Lord. I'm here to lead the army of the Lord. So let me ask you, what side are you on? Because I'm not on your side just because you come from Israel. 
I'm not on their side just because they've been living in the promised land. I'm on the Lord's side. I see a lot of people, I, I read a lot of uh, comments from people, and, and I want to be very careful how I, how I say this. There are, there are people in America, good, born-again Christians, great heart, that will say, we need, to, we need to stand with Israel no matter what, period, because Israel is God's chosen people. And Israel is God's chosen people. You're not, that doesn't change doesn't change. And I'm not, a, let's be careful here. I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't stand with Israel. I stand with Israel. All right. I think they've been one of our best allies, period. But we need to be careful when we draw alliances based upon name only. Okay. I was just reading in Second Chronicles, I think it was 25, this morning, and Israel and Judah had been divided for a number of years, and the king of Judah, I think it was Ahaziah, he made an alliance with the king of Israel. Ahaziah was going out to battle against a, an innumerable force, and he sent several tons of silver to the king of, of Israel to hire a bunch of mercenaries to come and fight with him. And before the battle was engaged, the Lord sent a prophet to Ahaziah, and said, God's not going to help you because you aligned yourself with Israel. God's not going to help you because they're not serving him. So here's your choice. You can either send those soldiers back and have the blessing of God, or you can have those 100,000 soldiers that you've hired and lose. And Ahaziah's answer was, well, what am I supposed to do about all that money I just gave him? And the prophet replied, God can give you much more than that. All right. He sent the, he sent the soldiers back, and God destroyed the enemy before Judah. And again, I just, I just want to be careful. I'm using Israel as an example, but sometimes we just, we just want to blindly follow somebody because they've got the blessing of God or they've had the blessing of God on their lives. We can't just blindly follow people. We've got to follow the Lord. We're not on... Israel's side, we're on God's side. Even the angel said, I'm not on your side. I'm on the Lord's side. What side will you be on? We got to stop making it about us. You know, I, I, think the, I think the issue or the reality is that we spend far too much time trying to get God on our side and not enough time trying to make sure that we're on his side. How many times have we, how many times have we tried to bargain with the Lord? We'll negotiate a contract. Lord, if you'll, if you'll just get me out of this, I'll never do that again. Lord, if you'll just help me in this area, I'll do this. Like, like we have anything really to offer God? What kind of a contract can we write up with God and say, hey, God, uh, you do this, I'll do this, and that's going to be cool. And God looks at us and says, everything you have came from me. I'm not served by human hands. You don't feed me. I'm God. We spend too much time trying to negotiate with God and work out a deal to get him on our side when we just need to stop and say, Lord, how do I get on your side? How do I do your bidding? Joshua's response was, was appropriate and really ought to be our response. It says that he fell face down in reverence. 
and said, what does the Lord say? That ought to be our, our first call. He fell face down in reverence. Here he is. He's the leader of Israel. He's, he's the one that God has appointed and anointed to, to lead Israel in the promised land, and yet he humbles himself before this man, this angel, when he realizes, hey, let me humble myself. What does the Lord say? When was the last time you stopped and asked, what does the Lord say? You're dealing with issues in your life. You've got decisions you have to make one way or the other. And, and we go and we petition God, Lord, do this. Lord, do this. Lord, heal this and direct this. When was the last time we stopped and said, Lord, what do you say? What's your word on the situation? That's how jo Joshua handled this news. That needs to be our response because we can't recruit God into our army or get him to take up our cause we need to be about his. We can't coerce God to take up our cause. We've got to take up his. Why is this so important? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We will have struggles. Life is full of them. Some are going to be physical, some are going to be emotional, some are going to be relational. We will definitely have this. He's talking about spiritual struggles. If you're struggling, don't look around like there's something wrong with you. If you're struggling spiritually, just understand fulfillment of what the Lord said. You will have struggles, but understand this. The big struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not your neighbor. It's not your spouse. It's not your wayward child. That's not the problem. That's the, that's the thing that the enemy's trying to get you to focus on. It's not that person or that job, or that field of broken dreams in my garage. All my, every one of my toys is broken. And Deb doesn't really want me riding hers. That's not my struggle. My struggle is spiritual. It's the enemy that wants to tear me down. It's the enemy that wants to destroy me. It's the enemy that, that wants to take my focus off of God. It's the enemy that wants to get me to, to be afraid. It's not flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where the struggle really is. That's where it comes from not from work or the neighbor or rap music or whatever. We have struggles, but it's not what we think. It's spiritual in nature and therefore cannot be defeated naturally. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Though we live in the, in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What's this real battle? It's about understanding who God is. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That word demolish, I think, is interesting because what it really means when you, when you demolish something, you don't leave enough pieces for it to be put back together. That's that word translated. Demolish, the Greek word that's translated demolish, means you have the power, you destroy it, you grind it down so bad, so far, that it can't be rebuilt. But it's not our power, is it? Paul says it's divine power. It comes from God himself to demolish these strongholds, to demolish these lies of the enemy, the pretensions, the things that he's saying about God that's not true. You, we have that, that power and that authority within us. And I think the problem is too often is that we don't activate it. You remember that? You remember Jesus is walking around and he's healing people. He came, a, came upon a guy that had been born blind. And he calls him over and he, I don't remember if this is the one that he spit or, or just touched him or whatever, but he touches his eyes and then he steps back. And this is the only time that we see this in scripture, but he, he touches the man's eyes and he steps back and he asks the man, he says, what do you see? And the guy said, you know what, I, I, I see people, but they, they look like trees walking around. Jesus steps in again, heals him, 100%. Think about this for a second. I think more often than not, we as believers, although we have divine power, we have authority to demolish strongholds. We settle for cracking them or breaking them or knocking a piece off here and there. You know, when Jesus asked that man, what do you see? He was giving him the opportunity. He could have walked away. He could have said, you know what? This is better than it was. Great, I can see I'm not going to run into buildings. I'll get used to waving at people that look like trees. It'll be Christmas every day. He had the opportunity to say, hey, Good is good. This is better than what I have before. I can dance my way on out of here. Thank you, Jesus. We'll talk to you next time. I'll go and tell my friends about all the tree people I see. And he had that opportunity. He had that right. But that man did not want to settle. I don't remember if he was one that was born blind. I think he was. But, you know, the reality is if, if you've never seen or if you haven't seen for an awful long time, it's, you're, you're going to be happy to see something. But there was something that welled up within him that said, you know what? This is good, but good's not good enough. Good is the enemy of best. And I want what's best, Lord. He stayed there until Jesus touched him and healed him 100%. 20-20 vision. Perfect. That's what the Lord wanted. 
Jesus doesn't like to do anything halfway. And in your life, he doesn't want to do anything halfway. In the struggles that you have, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, Jesus does not want you to settle for good when best is available. You've got the authority, you've got the power, divine power to demolish strongholds. So quit settling for knocking it down a little bit because when it's knocked down a little bit, you know what? It's gonna grow back. And there is our responsibility. He says, we take captive every thought and we make it submissive to the will of Christ. So one might argue, well, I can't help some of the thoughts that come flying into my mind. And I would say, yes, you can. Number one, by the things that you view, the things that you watch, the things that you listen to, you you take some control over the thoughts that you have because what you feed is going to grow. What you starve will die. But even when you're doing the best that you can to make sure that you're not watching inappropriate stuff, you're not listening to inappropriate stuff, it's possible for you to have a a thought come. Temptation comes. Being tempted doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. Temptation means you are a good Christian. You're doing the right thing. But you can say no to temptation. Because no temptation is seizure except that which is common to man. And when you're tempted, God will give you a way out. He's faithful and just and won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's what it means. You're tempted, you can handle it. You find a way out. But here's the responsibility that we have. Paul says, we take captive every thought. So that errant thought comes into my mind, I can either let it swim around and have a good time, or I can take it captive and make it submissive to the will of Christ. So I, I see a scantily clad woman. I can either stand there and continue to look at her, Or I can take that thought captive and say, you know what? You don't have any place. Don't have any place in here. Go away. In the name of Jesus, I can turn my head. I can close my eyes. Whatever the temptation may be, that's the power that we have, the authority that we have to demolish those strongholds so that they can't come back. And understand me, that doesn't mean that we're not going to be tempted again, that we're not going to have struggles again, but it's going to have to be a different kind because we've demolished that stronghold. In the name of Jesus. We struggle not only externally, but we struggle internally, requiring that we bring even our thought life in line with God. So what weapons do we fight with? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. That's exactly the same weapon that Joshua had to fight with. It was the word of God. And and you know what? I mean, book of Joshua, if you take Genesis to Joshua, it's only that much. And we got this much. We got a little bit of an advantage, don't you think? Not only that, we serve the risen Savior, Not only that, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. We got a little bit of an advantage over Joshua, but we still fight with the same weapon that he fought with, which was this, the word of God. He didn't use conventional wisdom when he went to attack Jericho, did he? How many of you that have been in the military, how many of you that have played any kind of military games, 
think this is a good idea. I just want you to march around. Be completely quiet. Just march around the city. Do that once a day for, you know, six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And then at the end, I want you to blow the trumpet and then yell. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry, but if I was, when I was in the service, if I would have had a, a, a sergeant or a captain or anybody over me tell me this is how we're going to fight the enemy, I, I would have asked for them to go see a specialist or something. That is not conventional wisdom. That is ridiculous. Unless it comes forth from the mouth of God. When it comes forth from the mouth of God, that which seems ridiculous becomes profound. But it still has to be acted on. They still had to get up and walk around it. They still had to look at the people, all the soldiers. I mean, there's some big dudes in Jericho looking over the edge and laughing. Don't look at them, just march. Don't worry about them, just march. I got a hunch there's people from other, other nations that were coming out and watching. What's going on? You know, they're sending their, their spies. They didn't have really good binoculars, so they had to get a little bit closer because, you know I, don't, I don't know how many of you have used like the toilet paper binoculars, toilet paper roll, but it works a little bit, but not as good as the glass ones. They were out spying it out, and they're watching. What are they doing? They're just marching around, being totally quiet. Oh, now they're, they've gone around three times, four, five. What in the world? Nothing changed. Day one, two, three, four, five, six. Nothing changed. Nothing changed the fifth time they went around, the sixth time. Nothing even changed the seventh time except when that trumpet blew and they stepped up and they activated their faith and they said, now we can yell because God said yell. And the wall fell. And God wants the walls to fall in your life. The strongholds the weaknesses, the things that, that the enemy has thrown in your face day after day and time after time. God wants those to fall. They're only going to fall when we walk in faith and obedience and do it his way. And we take captive even those thoughts and make them submissive to the will of God in Christ Jesus. We take the word of God It's interesting if you were to drop down into Joshua chapter 6, verse 10, how God words the command to him. He says, I have delivered Jericho to you. I have. God is speaking in the past tense. Joshua's living in the present tense. God is saying, it's done. Joshua's saying, what do I do? Because to God, it's a done deal. We just have to catch up. It's a done deal. We just have to catch up. So the angel's answer to Joshua sounds very familiar to what he said to Moses so many years before. Take your sandals off. It's where you're standing is holy ground. What God was saying in that instance is, look, I don't want there to be anything between you 
and me. Take your sandals off. You're in the presence of the Holy God. Get rid of everything that's in, that, that, that separates you from me, that, that even puts a sandal width, a soul width between us. Walk with me. Honor me. You're here this morning, maybe some of you are struggling. Maybe you're dealing with, with strongholds in your life. Maybe you're dealing with issues, things you never even dreamt you'd deal with, and you can't see a way out. Maybe it's something you've dealt with for years. Let me tell you, to the Lord, it's a done deal. Take captive those thoughts. Take captive those doubts. Let's walk by faith. Let's take the Lord at his word. Let's make sure there's nothing between us and him. Let's begin to demolish. I can't do it for you. You got to do it. You got to grab hold of the promise of God and demolish the stronghold so it can't be built back up. Shirley, could I get you to come and play a little something? I just want to close with this. God's promise to Israel and to Joshua taking the promised land is, is, a, is a promise to you, but we're not looking for land here on earth. Our promised land is in heaven. His promise to bless and to destroy the strongholds is a promise for us. But we've got to do it not by getting him on our side, but by us being on his side. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to give you the opportunity. If you've been struggling or you know, there's just some things you need to lay at the feet of the master this morning. I just want to invite you. I'm not going to one, two, three. I'm just, these altars are open. Come. Come now. You want prayer? I'll, I'll pray with you. Our prayer team will, will pray with you. But don't walk out of here with the same struggles and the same frustrations and the same doubts and the same strongholds. Don't walk out of here listening to the lie of the enemy. Come now, there's nothing magical about the altar, but it's a place where we can put everything behind us and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. It's you and it's me, and I take you at your word. So as I pray, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, and if you need to go, Lord bless you, go. Don't forget about the meeting, but if you want some prayer, you wanna deal, wanna allow God to deal with you a little bit more. These altars are open. Father, thank you. Thank you that your plan and your promise is good and it's good for us. But Lord, in your divine wisdom, you require that we take part. Lord, we have to take captive those thoughts. We've got the divine power to demolish strongholds, but we've got to activate it. Help us to do so. Lord, we face things every day and we try to get you on our side Forgive us for that. Help us to get on your side. Lord, I pray right now that you'd help us to tear down strongholds, demolish them. Lord, to walk in faith and confidence. Father, there would be nothing between us and you. Lord, I pray that that you would use us to accomplish your will. Here in Clark County, 
Lord, in our spheres of influence, I pray that you move. And God, let us never settle for good, but to stand on your promise and look for the best. Lord, I speak your blessing on your people as we get ready to go. Would you go before us? Would you go with us? Would you draw us close? Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.